is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Than Child's Play with your host, my mommy, Lacey Marisi, and my Aunt Nicole Surgeon. They're authors, therapists, and most importantly, mommies. And man, can they talk. So sit back and relax and learn from their village. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of More Than Child's Play podcast. This is Lacey, your host today, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I am overjoyed. I'm trying to use some different adjectives. I always say I'm excited, but I'm even more than excited today. So elated maybe is the right word. I am elated to be joined by Laura Brown. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Lacey. Oh, you're so welcome. We're so glad you um, had a little spare time in your schedule to join us today and share all of your wonderful knowledge about language development and little ones with our audience. Um, so just to kind of introduce Laura um, a little bit more to you all, she is a pediatric speech language pathologist, and she's the mom of two adorable little boys. Laura's superpower is teaching babies and toddlers how to communicate. Yay! (laughs) I like to think that's my superpower too, but I'm not sure. Anyway, (laughs) Laura started her business, Mommy and Me Milestones, after the birth of her first son. And she started the business as a way to connect with other parents and professionals who share her passion for child development and early language skills. From that, her business has grown and grown, and it includes support to parents and professionals through her website, which is mommyandmemilestones.com, her Facebook page, and an Instagram account. She offers free resources on her website, as well as her just newly released course entitled 51st Words, and that course is for parents and professionals alike. Laura also has an email newsletter that you can sign up through her website to receive updates and tips on language development and communication skills in young children. So Laura, like me, works in early intervention with little ones and their families, helping them to communicate. And in kind of thinking about this upcoming conversation with Laura, you know, as EI speech language pathologists, we talk to families a lot about all that goes into learning to communicate, all the things that, all the milestones that have to be met, all the skills that have to be learned before we actually hear those first words in little ones. And when you have a child that isn't language delayed, you don't necessarily get to appreciate all those little baby steps and celebrations along the way. So as nerdy language lovers, we enjoy, you know, observing that in children. We look for it not only in language delayed children, but also typically developing children to just celebrate all those steps and kind of, you know, we know what to expect and we're looking for it for it and really appreciate the miracle that 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 development is. But the information, you know, and Nicole and I, I felt the same way as you, Laura, when we were developing our product years ago, you know, we felt like this information about um, child development, not only in language, but all areas of development, mm-hmm. isn't information that really should just be shared in detail with families that have children with delays, with only those families. It's information that every family needs to know about um, so that they can be educated on what to expect as their child grows and develops and then can advocate for their child if they feel that maybe something isn't developing as it should. But again, it's information that should be known so that it can be appreciated by all families so that they can just, again, celebrate that miracle that their child is and appreciate all those little steps. I mean, I just get so excited talking I, about it, I but hundred percent agree. And I think there's so much power in, um, having the confidence and feeling like, you know, how to support your child. And it really does make, um, these early years more, Fun, I think when you feel like I know what I'm doing or I, I know how to support the skill and there's a lot of guesswork in early childhood, but taking some of that out, I think is, um, makes parents a little less stressed and more confident and, um, comfortable with supporting their kids in the early years. And, um, I, I totally agree that this is the, this information about early development should be out there for everyone to enjoy. Absolutely. That education leads to empowerment and then again can lead to advocacy should it be needed Mm -hmm. for your child. Right. Exactly. 
Yes. Okay. So let's just go ahead and start our conversation. We have some good questions to ask Laura. We're going to talk a little bit about her course that she has to offer on her website. And then at the end, um, Laura will share with you how you can get in touch with her and follow her again on her um, social media accounts and also find her website. So, so Laura, before those first words, like I mentioned before, there's a lot that goes into development, a lot of little milestones, little steps that have to be taken for the child. So what are some of those skills that a child needs before developing those first words? Um, I think it's important to kind of lay the, the very beginning foundation because we know that language starts with social engagement and that kids learn language through socially contingent interactions, which means they learn language from a, a real person responding to them in real time. And that foundation of play, which I know you talk a lot about and um, advocate a lot for is really the starting point for where language develops, learning that back and going back and forth in play. Those are your child's first little conversations. They're learning the nature of communication. And um, when we kind of follow our child's lead and respond to the things they're interested in and respond to the things that um, they are doing in play, we are building that foundation for communication to develop. Um, so I, I think that's really important to note that as the starting point. And that is why we as early childhood people talk so much about play and the importance of that, because that that is kind of um, what needs to be there before all of these other kind of little skills can develop that are going to lead up to those first words. Um, so some of the other ones that I talk a lot about are um, early communication skills like gestures and eye gaze and using that nonverbal um, way of communicating with caregivers. And that really comes from your caregivers responding to you. And then those, those communication attempts, as we know, get more mature throughout the first year. So um, really modeling and encouraging those gestures with your child is a really important precursor to the spoken language component. Um, also, we know that um, kids need to develop their ability to imitate in order to be able to um, start speaking more words. So, um, and we know that babies as young as six months, six to 12 months can start to imitate some simple um, actions and sounds and play. So building a strong foundation of those skills. And then finally, um, we know they have to understand the words before they're going to say them. So um, setting that really strong foundation of helping your child learn language, taking the time to talk with them about things that catch their interest and um, spend spending time reading with them and singing with them. All of those are really important things to kind of get them set up for success with spoken language. Yes. All of those are great skills. So when you talked about the first thing you talked about was that contingent response, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things that social interaction is right. one of the <clears throat> foundational skills for learning to communicate. I can remember um, my youngest when she started cooing, you know, it's even with coo baby start cooing, right? We say something mm -hmm. to the baby we're, we've locked eyes with them there. We're face to face. Mm -hmm. We say something and then we hear that sweet little coo. And then yes. we say something again and then they sweet little coo back. Right. That's right. A, a conversation or the beginning. And it is it is the most beautiful, amazing oh. thing too. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And I, I remember, you know, again, I think it was my youngest, because that's, you know, my most recent memories. Probably all of them did this at some point. But I just remember being like, oh my gosh, you know, so precious. But something as simple, it seems so simple to us, you know, mm -hmm. when we have a baby and we're sleep deprived and we're just trying to keep everyone alive and dressed and fed. <laughs> but that's the beginning of that communication development. Exactly. Exactly. And then you, you also mentioned gestures and gesture development is so important. And I think, you know, broadly, when we say communication, people just think talking, you know, like they just think mm -hmm. communication is talking. Right. That's how most of us communicate, but mm -hmm. little ones as before those words come, I think we often miss the gestures that they use, those nonverbal right. attempts to communicate. Right. 
I think I mean, those are starting so early. I mean, a, a lot of kids between, you know, six and nine months, they're starting with reaching towards things that they want, pushing things away. That is all communication and, um, acknowledging that responding to it. And then, you know, building on that modeling, modeling the words that go with those, um, communicative acts, modeling more advanced gestures, like, um, pointing to get something. So, yeah, it is, it is fascinating the the kind of evolution of communication skills and it, it starts, it starts really early. And I love the way those skills kind of evolve over time. I just think it's so fascinating. Yes, it is. And it, and it happens really quickly. And those kiddos mm-hmm. that are typically developing these skills come right. quick and fast right. and overlap. And before we oh, know yeah. it, they don't need those gestures anymore because they've got the words, but right, it right. is exciting to watch it unfold. And then the last thing um, I just wanted to comment on, you mentioned kids have to understand words before they're going to be able to say words. And I find um, parents are often surprised because I go in for the evaluation and they're like, oh, he understands everything we say to him. Mm-hmm. And then we take a little closer look and I start asking some more specific questions about, does he follow directions? Does mm-hmm. he respond to the announcement of it's bath time? Or mm-hmm. does he respond to seeing you go to the bathroom and hear you turn on the water? You know, mm-hmm. so then we start breaking it down. Then they start realizing, oh, and naturally we're not going to have a kid that, is saying words before he understands what those words mean. Because why would I say right. ball if I have no idea what B-A-L-L ball represents, you know? So right. exactly. Um, exactly. that's a, a really important skill, foundation, found, excuse me, foundational skill to expressive language that I feel sometimes gets overlooked because mm-hmm. again, I think we just assume they understand us because they give us that good eye contact and look at us for a second. Right, <laughs> right. Oh, he's just stubborn. I hear that a lot yeah. too, but yeah. oftentimes is they're just not understanding yet. So that one's yeah. really, really, and there, there's something really obvious that happened that parents are noticing, which is, okay, my child's not talking or I'm not hearing words yet. Um, but the, the kind of fun part of our job, I think is like kind of going under the surface and saying, okay, what are those other skills that we get to build up in order to get there? Yes. Um, and that, I think that's, I, you know, we're both language nerds. I think it's fun. <laughs> Fun, fun, fun. (laughs) Too funny. All right. Okay. So now we kind of know those foundational skills, those prerequisites that kiddos need before we're going to hear some of those first words develop. Mm -hmm. So Laura, what are some of your top tips that you share with families and parents of little ones for teaching those first words? So we, we talked a little bit about modeling and encouraging gestures. So this is a really big one that I stress with the families I work on because gestures are such an important part of our communication, even into adulthood. We, and they are, they give our children a way to communicate. They can help our children kind of repair. If there's a communication breakdown, they're trying to say something and we're not receiving that message or able to understand them. They can kind of fall back on their gestures. So there's a lot of benefit to kind of encouraging these skills and, um, one of the things that I suggest, which may seem obvious, but may not, is that you have to model a lot of gestures for your child to use them. And when we're talking about gestures, we are talking about things like reaching for something you want, um, which usually turns into a, a point eventually. So pointing to things that a child wants, um, things like shaking your head for no, reaching your hands up to be picked up, waving goodbye, clapping your hands, um, even some more kind of representational or like iconic gestures, maybe like putting your arms out, like, and pretending like you're flying around like an airplane. So if you think outside the box a little bit and think more about, okay, let's add more of a, you know, let's act some of these words out. Let's add more of a physical representation that has a huge benefit for your child's ability to learn language, for their ability to communicate with you. Um, so that that's a big one. And then I also love, and we talked about this a little at teaching um, sign language, simple signs along alongside um, some of these gestures to help kids communicate 
prior to being able to use a lot of spoken words. Um, my son is 16 months and he um, has lots of words, but he is also still using all of his signs. And those two um, kind of working on all of these things, working on spoken words, adding gestures, including signs, it is just going to give your child that many more opportunities um, to communicate and have a robust style of communication with you. So, so all of those things, that's kind of like, that's kind of one (laughs) tip all wrapped into one. Um, And then um, additionally, we talked about the importance of receptive language and the how important it is that your child understand words before they're going to be able to say them. Um, and something I talk in my course about a lot is contingent input. And um, that kind of sounds complicated, but it's it's not. You are just going to follow your child's lead and talk about the things that catch their interest. You're going to notice the way that they are communicating with you non-verbally, and you're going to say words that match the words that you think they would be saying if they were using more words. Um, and I, I, I love kind of stressing contingent input versus talking all day or, you know, that kind of advice to just like fill all of the silence with words. Um, we know it's important that we talk a lot, but we also know it's important that um, our kids get quality input. And I think it really takes pressure off parents to talk, 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 talk. If you kind of lay that foundation of let's just follow your child and then, and go in behind that. So you don't have to feel like you are filling every moment of silence. You are just kind of keeping it really natural, talking about things that they're doing as they're doing them and talking about things that catch their interest. And that way your, your child kind of gets to steer the ship when it comes to um, the way you're talking to them and the way you're talking with them. Right. Right. And two, I think taking that pressure off the parent to fill every second of silence with words then allows a little bit of space and pause for the child to respond. Right. Right. Exactly. If they're able to gesture that word, that sound, that whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's really important too. And, Um, and honestly, that's, that's even more important. You know, we, we talked about the socially contingent nature of community. That's the most important thing that responding that back and forth, you respond and then give them time to respond and keeping that bouncing back and forth is that is the number one most important thing you could do to help your child grow their communication and get ready for talking. Yes. And I want to back up just a little bit. So the, so mm-hmm. you just talked about just the importance of gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and then you kind of just mentioned how, you know, all of us use gestures, not just little ones who are mm-hmm. developing language. And as you were saying that I sat here, I know you guys can't see it because we're a <laughs> podcast, but I sat here at 43 years old and was nodding my head, giving Laura a gesture. Yes, I agree with you. Yes, I'm listening to you. So stop and think about that today, guys, you know, think about all the gestures you still use. And I often Mm -hmm. will say to parents too, you know, teaching gestures, teaching signs, using pictures to support language, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things come in handy to supplement verbal language, you know, because Mm -hmm. there's moments, even as adults, when we get frustrated and the words don't come, right? So even when the kiddo has some words, it's nice to have those gestures to fall back on or have those just parents are always concerned when they send their little one off to preschool, if their language delay, because, you know, they have less language than their peers. They're with a new adult who doesn't know their way of communicating. So I'm always like, these gestures are going to support them in that context, you know, right. in that environment right. to back mm-hmm. up. Maybe if their verbal isn't understood, they they still know that sign or they still know that, right. that way to express that, to supplement and, and clarify and kind of help that, you know, that new person in their life understand. So yeah, gestures are for a lifetime, not just for yes. <laughs> Exactly. And, and it, I mean, we know they, they support um, and give your child a way to communicate, but they are also a lot there. I know there's some people that have concerns, especially with like, I hear this with, um, introducing sign language a lot. Will this, um, inhibit my child's verbal communication? Well, if they can sign, why will they want to talk? You know? So, but I know, I know you and I both know that, um, introduce, you know, using gestures, using signs, building up these communication skills. You mentioned pictures. That's another great one. Giving them 
those tools for communication. It also supports the, all of the skills that they need to grow to get ready to speak words. So we know not only does, not only are these, um, strategies, great communication tools, but they're also getting kids more ready to say words. They're growing those foundational skills that they need. So it, it does not inhibit spoken language. It actually supports that spoken language development. Right. And I hear that from parents a lot too. It's, it's a very natural concern to have, Mm -hmm. you know, we want him to be a talker, not a signer, you know? So, and I often will say to them, you know, in my almost 17 years of working in early intervention, when I teach a little one, when a family, you know, teaches a little one signs, as soon as they say the word, the sign falls away, you know, they stop doing the sign, but it's easier to say the word, right. Versus the motor movement. They still might fall back on that sign to supplement Mm -hmm. down the road, Mm -hmm. but mo, you know, all the children that, you know, aren't hearing impaired and don't need to depend on sign language as their primary mode of communication, they eventually lose that, you know, replace that sign with the word. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, kind of, I usually let kids kind of be, you know, guide that. And I will tell parents there is no need to ever stop signing or, you know, um, kind of end that the use of that strategy because kids will figure it out on their own. Once they, if they start to say it and they aren't, um, wanting to use the sign as much anymore, that's okay. Um, One of the neat things about signing with my um, baby now is that my four-year-old is really into learning signs again. And he signed as a baby Um, and he wants to know the sign for every word. So it's really up to every family. Keep signing. Or if your child is, you know, taking off a spoken language and letting those drop off, that's okay too. So there's, there's a lot of ways you can kind of go forward with that, but there's, there's just so many benefits to using that strategy for our children who are still learning communication. Absolutely. And signing is a second language, you know, exactly. I mean, if exactly. your kid is interested in it, your family's interested in it, keep learning it. I mean, it can only, you know, be an asset to your child, you know, as they grow up and one day enter the workforce and they have this yes. skill set, right. That not everyone has. So, okay. We'll stop talking about signs. <laughs> we can talk for hours about that too. All right. So, um, well-intentioned parents who love, love, love their children more than life sometimes do things that might not be the best for language development. Again, it's well-intentioned. I, mm-hmm. we run into this with families all the time. I am guilty of doing some of these things, even though I have the knowledge I have as a speech language pathologist. So mm-hmm. Laura, what are some of those common mistakes that we um, sometimes see with families when they're trying to teach their little ones to talk? Okay. So there's a few. And before we we start talking about these, I want to say that there's nothing inherently wrong or bad with the things we're going to talk about. There's just um, alternatives that we know better support language development. So if this is something you've done or, you know, something you've used in the past, it's okay. We're all still learning. So it's not, it's not bad. We're just going to talk about some alternatives that are, um, better suited for supporting language and supporting our new talkers. I think it's a quote from Oprah or Maya Angelou. Maya Maya Angelou. (laughs) When you know better, you do better or something like that, right? So that's what we're here for, sharing good information so everyone will know better and they can do better. 100%. So um, one of the, one of the things I talk about a lot is, um, and this is something that a lot of parents and professionals use in when they are working with new or emerging talkers and they will say, use your words. So, um, one of the, there's, there's a couple things about this that are not ideal when it comes to supporting language. Number one, it's, you're putting a lot of pressure on a child to talk in that moment. And we know that kids learn best when they're engaged and motivated. And when that pressure to perform is low, um, additionally, we're often saying this to kids who are still learning language. They're still learning how to talk. They're still learning how to, um, use words to communicate and they're relying on us to teach them, to show them, to model, So when we're saying use your words to a child who is still figuring out 
talking and using words, we are, we're kind of, we're putting all of the responsibility on them when yeah. really it's, it's our job to be teaching them and to be modeling that language for them. So um, instead of saying, use your words to a child who, if usually this occurs in the context of a child is whining or using gestures to get something or to communicate something. And we would say, use your words. So instead of that, um, you can try a little wait time. So you're going to pause and look at them and see, maybe they can use their words. And in that moment, when you give them that look that says, can you say it and wait, that's their chance to say them. And if they don't, then we're going to model the words for them. We're going to say what we think they would want to say. So we might say, I need my snack or crackers or I'm hungry. And then we're going to give them the item or the, you know, follow through on the communication in whatever way. Um, so that, that's a big one for me. Um, I just additionally, I just oh yeah, go on. Okay. So the, you, I feel the same way about the use your words well-intentioned, mm-hmm. but it's typically we use it with kiddos who still need more practice mm-hmm. hearing those mm-hmm. words, imitating those exactly. words. And, but also you made a good point. Oftentimes we prompt kids to use their words in situations where they're probably a li- their emotional state is a little bit heightened. And we mm-hmm. all know it's a little harder to communicate effectively when yes. we're a little worked up. Right? right. So, you know, they're fussing because they're hungry and then we're prompting them to use their words. And even if they have those words, they might not be able to access them or retrieve them and speak. Exactly. That's such a good point. And I love the way you put up. that. Yeah. So that that's very, very good advice. Again, no harm done. Just know now that that might not be the best strategy to help your child Mm -hmm. say words in the moment. They still might need your model and that's okay. We can give that model till the cows come home and they eventually start saying it spontaneously. Right. Like the model is, is not going to hurt them or hinder them. They will say those words when developmentally they are able to say those words in that situation. So, okay. Right. Right. All right. Okay. So the next one is, um, the next kind of common mistake that I see is parents doing a lot of quizzing or questioning, asking a lot of questions to kids who are just kind of learning how to, um, say first words, or maybe aren't talking at all. So, um, they might use a lot of like, what's this, what's that, or what are you doing? And I encourage parents, um, when I work with families to flip that script. So if you want to say, if you hold a book and you have a picture of a dog and you want to say, what's this instead, you're going to say, it's a dog. Um, if you walk into the room and your child is playing with their ball, instead of saying, what are you doing? You're going to say, you're playing. It's a ball, roll the ball. So you're going to, you kind of flip that around. And we talked about the importance of language modeling. So in this Um, in this way, your child is getting that valuable language modeled for them. They're getting that valuable input. And then again, it keeps the pressure to, um, talk low and it creates more engaging and, um, motivating interactions, which we know is, uh, kind of the perfect recipe for language to bloom. I love that tip. So if the parent feels like they want to ask the kid a question, just answer your own question. <laughs> like, exactly. Don't ask them the question. Exactly. Well, and we've all seen the kids who, what's their first word? What this, what that, <laughs> and why do you think that that's their, that's what they're hearing? Yeah. So yeah, if you have right. a, what's this or what's that kid, Think about how often you might be asking some of those questions yes. and try to work on uh, modeling some of the words for those things instead. Yes. Good tip. Okay. Okay. So finally, um, I'll talk about one last thing, which is choosing, wor- choosing words to kind of model and teach to your child. And um, I see a lot of um, parents and just a lot of focus in general on more advanced concepts, more academic type of um, language that is not really necessary for very young children. So I'm thinking like children under the age of three, I I don't want to be talking about color words, you know, the names of letters, shapes, like I'm, I'm going to set all of that aside 
And instead, we're going to save that for later. Those are fun things to work on later, but let's give your child really um, words that are really powerful to communicate. So words for their favorite things, their favorite um, foods and toys, words like eat and go and all done and more and play things that are really going to help them communicate and better navigate their day. Um, Words for, you know, their favorite people, their favorite activities activities like bath and out or outside. So focusing more on those words that are really meaningful for your child now, and then leaving, saving some of those other uh, more kind of academic words for later. And this is really hard because of the toys that, that are just so ubiquitous. Every toy, even for babies is all about colors, shapes, letters. It is a practice, even for me to step back from modeling those and think about, oh, can we talk about instead of naming the shapes as we do the little shape sorter, can we talk about pushing them in or taking them out or asking for more or doing it again? So it it is a, a practice to do this because of the way that these toys are presented to us. And and that's, that's nobody's fault, except for I guess the, the toy companies or whatever, but um, it's a challenge, but it's definitely important for your child to have more access to those powerful words that help them better communicate. Absolutely. And I think, you know, play discussion about play could be a whole other podcast. Oh yeah. I already talked to Emily Cohen once on a podcast <laughs> about play, but I could talk for many more, but you know, I think as early intervention providers, educating families on just what you talked about that, you know, don't feel that pressure to teach letters, shapes, colors, numbers before mm-hmm. the age of three, especially when we have a language delayed kiddo who, who needs functional words, right. To have right. Get their needs right. met, to participate mm-hmm. in conversations, to build those social language skills, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but it is, it's the, the marketing, you know, influence the, they prey on parents fears that their child isn't going to be smart if they don't teach right. them letters by 18 months or whatever. Right. And, right. and all of those, uh, so many of those toys, you know, I go to target, I go to Walmart, I go anywhere and the aisles are just filled with those battery operated light up Mm -hmm. singing ABCs and counting toys. But those toys, just like you said, we can take the batteries out, which is my favorite thing to do, (laughs) save the family money too. And even though it's a shape sorter that sings in English and Spanish and names colors and, you know, shapes, names, shapes and whatever, we can use that same toy and use our own voice to make it something more functional, to teach more right. functional language, right. to, you know, right. encourage that, that language development that is age appropriate, developmentally appropriate. So mm-hmm. not all is lost on those toys. We just exactly. have to know how to use them in a developmentally appropriate way for the child to encourage skill yes. development. Yes versus the way that the toy company wants us to use them, which makes us feel like, oh my gosh, often causes families to panic, you know, and they are not setting us up for success with this. It is, it's hard. It's hard to kind of play with these toys and, and think about what to say other than those things. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Because naturally you just name what's in front of you. Right. You know? So, um, but yeah, I talk to families a lot about naming actions, you know, that's the uh, prepositions, you know, those are all early, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, word targets. And like you mentioned too, just functional, you know, what words are most functional for my little ones? What words can he, can I model for him that hopefully he will imitate that he can use in all different types of context, you know, right, right. Um, I have a super sweet story. I just want to insert here real quick. I had a little guy. Yes, oh my gosh. So I had this little guy a few years ago and certainly we have kiddos that just love colors or just love numbers and letters. And so, you know, that's okay too. If they're into that and they want to learn it, go ahead, but also teach them those functional words alongside. But, um, he was really into all those kind of early academic um, you know, vocabulary. And so he knew his colors real well. And he was, I don't know, probably like two and a half and it was the winter time and it had snowed a lot. And he took, he took his mom and dad took him outside and he said, white, 
He didn't have the word <laughs> snow, but he knew the word white. And I was like, that's so awesome because he took that color word, which I was like, this is not a functional word, but it's okay. It's a word, you know, it's a good word, mm-hmm. but he used it in a functional way to label the snow. <laughs> so we, from that, we worked on white snow, you know, like we got, right, right. but you know, it just, it just really, it, it was so sweet and I'll never forget him and that huge, you know, monumental occasion that he spontaneously commented on something and labeled yes, this. Yes. That's but, amazing. Um, yeah. It was super sweet, but yeah. Functional vocabulary, um, early first words, just keeping in mind, what can they, what words can they use to get their needs met and use in multiple contexts are going to be the, the ones that we want to target, like you mentioned. So exactly. Okay. So we touched on sign language a little bit ago. Um, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit and our last question was going to be about sign language and if it Mm -hmm. does, um, delay children from using spoken language, which we talked about that it doesn't, is there anything else you wanted to add to that about the use of sign language or teaching little ones sign language? Um, I think we covered it for the most part, really the biggest things are, um, to introduce signs again, that are meaningful and help your child communicate. Um, I actually have a resource on my website for introducing sign and introducing lots of high power communication words through sign. Um, and some of the ones I recommend, um, getting started with eat more all done, um, help, um, adding some words like go stop out bath book, you know, things that they are part of their daily routines, thing, um, signs for their fit. You can add signs for their favorite foods and favorite toys. Um, I like to just do the sign for play as well. So, um, that kind of gives you a few that you could start with, but definitely, um, adding those in around, you can start as early as six months, Um, kids are usually more ready to start using them and imitating them around nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, and every child's a little different, but I, I really just love that, um, communication tool for both parents who, um, have concerns about their child's development, have kids that are in speech therapy and also parents who, um, have children who are not in speech therapy. I think it is a great tool for any child to kind of boost their communication skills and give them a way to better communicate with you before they're using a lot of words. Absolutely. And if we happen to have any parents listening that maybe want to start some sign like signing with their little mm-hmm. one, keep in mind, I always tell families when we start with sign language or we start with pictures, this is a whole new way to communicate that we're introducing to your baby mm-hmm. or toddler. Um, mm-hmm. So you're going to have to do a lot of modeling. Don't mm-hmm. expect the imitation of the sign um, right away. Just like mm-hmm. with language, we have to say the, the word ball many, 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 many times before we might hear that word come out of their little mouth back to us in imitation. So don't get discouraged. It takes a lot of modeling of you doing those signs within context of the daily routine or the activity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to use sign language just to accompany your spoken language all day long. Like you just said, Laura, you sign the word play probably when you see your boys on the floor playing, Oh, you're playing. And I'm signing in case you don't know that, (laughs) but you know, using that sign language just to kind of back up what you're saying is always Mm -hmm. a good idea. Um, Mm -hmm. Often parents will say to me, I just want to work on one sign at a time because I don't want to confuse him. And so then I explain, you're not going to confuse him, you know, adding the gesture, the sign behind your words is just going to help him understand a little bit sooner. Right. What talking right. About. Mm-hmm. It's going to give him multiple modes of communication to imitate. If he's able to imitate the gesture or the word, we're giving him two mm-hmm. ways to communicate back to us. So I try to encourage them to sign as much as they can because it, it yes. will hurt yes. all. I I'm so glad you said that and added that because I, I do see a lot of people throwing in the towel on sign way too early. You know, they they'll try it for a couple of weeks and then when they're not seeing any signs emerging, they're ready to be done with it. And it, you're so right that kids need to see these signs modeled, um, so much before they're going to be able to use them. But I, I mean, I can't speak enough as a parent about how valuable this has been communicating with my own children. Yes. And I I've used it obviously with hundreds of families and therapy as well, but as speaking as a parent and really sticking with the signs, it, it paid off so much in just terms of our ability to communicate 
more effectively with our very young babies and toddler. Absolutely. Okay. I want to, two other things while I still have you. So a super exciting thing to observe as an SLP, and I'm sure you've observed it too with little ones. They sometimes come up with their own signs, their own, they make up a new gesture, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh my gosh, I get so excited about that because that tells me not only are they doing a few signs and learning to use signs to communicate with us, Mm -hmm. but now they know that they're their gestures have communicative power and they figure out a way to make up a new sign to represent something important in the world, to communicate it to us, that problem solving, that (laughs) cognitive, just, you know, like development, that receptive language development. It's like so exciting when little ones, you know, again, create their own sign. I know my, my baby has one. He puts his hand up on his face and like snuggles his hand when he thinks something is cute. So like, that's his like, Oh, (laughs) super sweet. I love that too. Oh yeah. That's just really exciting. Again, another exciting time as an SLP to observe that little ones and and with their families. Other thing I want to touch on about sign language. So it's, it's kind of, you know, a hot topic in the SLP world. Mm -hmm. Do we teach the sign for more? Do we not? I, you know, I have an opinion, but I want to hear what your opinion is about that. Oh gosh, I'm so curious what side you're on, Lacey. Um, <laughs> I am outspokenly pro teaching more. Um, and I think as um, you and I probably agree on this for the same reason, which is this is about teaching the power of communication. So there is, if your child, if you start with more and first of all, they can use it to request lots of different things in, lots, in many different ways across a variety of activities, which is great. And if they pick up on more and they're using it and they're overusing it, that is amazing. They understand that that word has a lot of power. And then we go from there and we refine it and we teach, you know, the more specific vocabulary and teach them to be more discriminative in their use. But I, I understand the kind of other side about more being overused, but I think that's our kind of opportunity to teach a really powerful sign, let children start to understand the power their communication has, and then refine from there. You can always teach more, help them discriminate. Um, so I personally love teaching more. I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. That's why we like each other so much, Laura. Yes. <laughs> But I agree. And I, I, I believe maybe Laura Mize said this once, just don't get stuck at more. You know what I mean? Like teach more, they learn, they have communicative power, like you just said with that Mm -hmm. sign. So it, it, um, it validates them. And then also, you know, inspires them to, to learn more signs to communicate, but just don't get stuck there. You know, when I have little ones that start imitating more, then we start adding more drink, more eat, more play, more whatever. Right. 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 So you just add to it. You just don't stop there. Um, Mm -hmm. and the same thing with please, you know, I mean, as SLPs, manner words aren't the first ones that we want to teach because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. they're not super functional. Um, they're abstract, you know, words, right. but, but parents, you know, they want their kids to be mannerly, which I certainly can respect. I also mm-hmm. felt the same way mm-hmm. and continue to teach my children manners at their <laughs> older ages. Right. But you, again, if the little one picks up on please as a requesting word, that's fine add the next line to it, you know, eat please or help please or mama please. So you just, you start. I also am very pro please. And one of the reasons is it's one of the easiest signs um, motorically for kids to pick up on. And I feel from my perspective and everyone has a different perspective on this, that please is very clear in terms of request. If someone walks up to you, even as adult and says, please, you know, they want something. You might not know what they want. And like we said, we refine from there. We teach specific vocabulary for foods or toys or games from there. But I I'm pro more, I'm pro please. And it is, it's because they're, they're easy signs to start with. They're signs that kids tend to pick up on really quickly and they're powerful and they're a great starting point for kind of growing communication beyond there. 
Yes, absolutely. And I was um, trying to locate, I listened to um, Char Beauchart has a podcast, The Speech Link, and I listened to an episode of hers recently, and now I can't find it, of course, to reference, but it was an <laughs> SLP that works in EI, and she talked all about teaching sign to little ones and their families, and she always has the family model two signs at a time um, because it supports um, you know, more robust language. Mm -hmm. And then again, it gives the child the option of which sign they motorically are able to imitate. So going back mm -hmm. to how, please, if for any of you listening that don't know, please is just, um, your whole hand against your chest and, and rubbing your chest kind of in like a circle motion. So it is easy because really little ones, when they imitate it, they just kind of hit their chest. And that's usually what we get first, but eventually <laughs> they get that rubbing motion on their right. chest in that circle circle. So it is motorically easy, but even still, you know, if we say eat, please, and eat is a little bit harder for them to imitate motorically, then mm -hmm. they can at least imitate that, that sign for please. But again, if I can find that, I will, um, I'll send it to you, Laura and I'll include okay. show notes yeah. for everyone else. But it was really <laughs> interesting to hear her, um, you know, why she believes in, in modeling always mm -hmm. two signs together mm -hmm. at least, um, to support that more robust language development, but anyway. Okay. All right. We're going to get off our sign language soapbox. <laughs> and wrap this up. Um, okay. So Laura, everyone in our audience, I'm sure is very excited to, um, to check out your resources, check out your website again, mommy and me milestones.com and, and is spelled out. Mm -hmm. And then again, on Instagram, you are, what's your handle on Instagram? It's at mommy and me milestones and, and is also spelled out for that one too. Perfect. And then Facebook, just search mommy and me milestones and I'm sure she'll pop up. So Correct. all those places and let's just touch quickly. Um, so Laura, um, allowed me to take a look at that new course that she has out 50 first words. And I just want to compliment. I can't compliment it enough to be honest. You know, I talked in a podcast a couple months ago with Stacey Landberg about adult learning principles, because when we work in EI, we're working with the adults really more so than the child themselves, right? Because right. we're teaching the parent through parent coaching. And Stacey talked a lot about when we're working with adults, keeping it, she gave tips on those adult learning principles, but keeping it simple was one of them. Um, learning within context was one of them. And I just want to say, as I was watching your course and going through the supplemental materials that you offer, watching the videos of you with your little ones acting, not acting out, but you know, <laughs> doing these strategies in real time with your little kiddos, that's within context, right? That's the perfect example. We can talk about a strategy till we're blue in the face, but until a parent sees it in action and within context, it doesn't always make sense. So mm -hmm. the video examples you offer in your course, this, the, the, um, information you present in a very organized, simple language that, you know, no professional jargon was used, I, but I, but on the flip side of that, I think your course is also very valuable to professionals. Um, I loved how, again, she offers so many free downloads that highlight, you know, the, the important points for each, um, each chapter, you know, part of yeah. the course. <laughs> then the other thing I love that you did was each, I, I, I'm about halfway through, but each little chapter, I think the longest one is eight minutes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you kept yeah. in these small and what came to my mind, I'm able, my kids are older, so I'm able to sit down and, and watch a two hour course for the most part without much interruption. Mm -hmm. For parents of little ones, that's not doable, but you right. had a three minute, three minute little chapter of a, a five minute. And, and again, the most was eight minutes. I thought, wow, yeah. this is wonderful. Even before they close their sleep deprived eyes at night, they could watch three minutes of this course, and <laughs> learn something new for the next day. So again, I encourage everyone to check it out. It, it's so well done. It's you, you present the research, why you recommend what you recommend for language development, which I love that as a professional. And I know parents will appreciate that too, to know why, what they're doing will matter or make a difference for their child. So you present that research. It's so well organized. It's, it's, there's a lot of good stuff in there and well worth the investment, um, from a professional, because you also can get continuing education credits from watching it mm -hmm. as well as, um, the investment from, for a family, you know, to put into purchasing your course. So anything Thank you want you, to add, Lacey, that is, that is such a nice compliment. You totally made my day and I really appreciate <laughs> the kind words. I'm, I'm very excited about the course. Um, I've gotten great feedback so far and I really hope people love it and get a lot out of it. 
Yes. Awesome. And then the last thing I forgot, cause I made myself notes and I missed this one. She has a section on, um, frequently asked questions about first words. I love that. Right. Because there are questions we get as early intervention mm-hmm. therapists, a lot of the same typical common questions, you know, concerns. Right. So I love that you put that in there and I watched it and I was like, yep, I've heard that question. Yep. I've heard that question. <laughs> so it was like, you know, you're learning and you're getting all your questions answered and you're coming out with these free resources and, and, and downloadable materials to take with you to remember after you listen to the course, um, I, again, please, please, please check it out. And I will, um, include the link to your website, um, your social media accounts in our show notes for everyone interested in reaching out to you. And then Laura, do you have an email if they just want to email you directly with a question that they have? Yeah, sure. Um, you can, you can send me a message on social media, or you can email me Laura at mommyandmemilestones.com. Um, I love hearing from people. I, I love getting emails. I love answering questions. I'm just that way. I think it's fun. Um, also I want to let people know that, um, the course has a guided learning component. So we're going to be covering a module per week together. I'm starting here soon, but that doesn't mean that enrollment closes here at the end of the week. And we're talking in October. Um, so if you're listening to this later in the fall or early winter, um, the course is going to reopen for enrollment every three or four months. So, um, just know that if you are looking for more information about the course, the next time I'm going to open it for, um, our next guided learning session will be in January. So, um, and you can always reach out to me and, um, ask specifically if you have questions about that. Okay. Awesome. So just tell, explain a little bit more guided, the guided learning, like you'll meet on a regular basis or how does that work? So so we're going to do, it's, um, an exclusive Facebook group for course participants, and we're going to cover one module per week. There are six modules of the course. Um, for each module, we're going to have, um, top takeaways. We're going to talk about those. We're going to answer any questions about the content of that module, We're going to have a bonus lesson and a case study for each one. So we're going to be talking a lot. I'm, I'm going like totally overboard because that's like the part I'm most excited for is connecting with people in this group and actually having the the conversation. So, um, that's the part that I'm most excited for. Well, now I'm most excited about that because you guys, not only are you getting all those wonderful things that I already mentioned, but now you're going to get to talk directly with a speech language pathologist herself and ask her questions. And, you know, I mean, for professionals, but also again, for families alike, like that connection with somebody who works in the field, who can help guide you, you know, if you have concerns, then you could, I'm sure you'll reference people to, you know, seek out help or evaluation. Of if course, like yes. it's more than just a, you know, just a, a, something that can be helped through, you know, just a little few changes at home, but that is awesome. I mean, awesome. I'm so excited for you and so excited that this resource is out there for everyone to take advantage of. So gosh, Talk about investment value. Yeah, that's awesome. Good for you. Okay. All right. We better wrap things up here, but Laura, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and for this rich conversation about communication, for getting me all pumped. I'm excited about working in this field again. I know I could tell we are cut from the same cloth because I know we could talk about this all day, but thank you so much for having me. And, um, it was great talking with you today. Thank you for listening to another episode of More Than Child's Play podcast. If you wouldn't mind taking the time to leave a review on Apple Podcast or Podbean, Nicole and I would really appreciate it. Also, if you have any suggestions for guests or topics that we could discuss on the podcast for our next episode, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm.